Now, I know some of you, uh, um, all of you maybe are just like, just keep playing it. Let's just keep watching that this morning. Let, let that be our sermon. So I couldn't do that to you, you know. So we know this movie. I mean, pretty well. I can't believe it's 17 plus years old that this movie has been out. Um, and, you know, it kind of spans like a big part of my kid's childhood as well as I have a 21, 20, and 15-year-old. And so this movie has played over and over and over. Uh, it's played several times when the kids are not around uh, as well, when it's just myself. And I'm not ashamed of that at all. You might know the story, right? That it, it we're, It's a story of a retired superhero who wants to get back into the game. He does so, but doesn't tell his family, doesn't tell his wife about it. That never goes over very well, right? And eventually gets himself in such danger that he needs to call on his family. His family seeks him out. And of course, his family has been holding back their superpowers for a long time. And now they can unleash him on this great evil that they need to fight. But the key, as we're watching, and I think what resonates with us, no matter what your family situation looks like, you might be a single parent here today, you might be a blended family, um, you, whatever it looks like, this concept of them kind of coming together as a family and all having their individual superpower that can work together as a team, it just kind of works for us in this movie. And so when we look at this morning, we're asking the question of how do we strengthen our family? Like, how do we in some way make that concept work for us so that we can be a strong family? We would say, man, I, we really, I really come from a strong family. And what do we really mean by that? So we're going to look at this. But there's one key word I want to share with you because I've learned that none of this just happens. It, it, it doesn't just happen. In fact, if you were into sports, I don't know, maybe you grew up doing a sport, maybe you grew up doing a dance or some type of thing that was, that was heavy skill set, right? Obviously, you know, for me, it was baseball. It's really quite simple. If I was struggling with a swing and the mechanics just didn't look right and it wasn't effective to hitting a baseball, my coach would tell me, hey, go get one of those tees, you know, that you learned on back in fourth-year-old four t-ball Set that up and start swinging over and over and over the correct way to eventually got, you get it. I imagine if you grew up doing something else, some other skill set, same type of thing. What are we really saying? You would have to be incredibly intentional to try to improve at whatever that is, the baseball swing or anything else. When we're talking about how do we strengthen our family, I want to let you know that even though God's words has so much to say on it, None of it just happens. It follows from a key word. The key word is intentionality. Intentionality. That we actually have to be intentional about how we build into our families if we want to really see strong family. So here's what Francis Sand says it this way. We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. That's a powerful quote. In fact, in our Christian lives, you might have already discovered that it doesn't just happen. It takes us pursuing God every day and being attentive to what he's speaking to us about. Even at times when we're like, oh, I don't want to hear that, God. It takes our attentiveness. Well, the same is true of the family. If you'd like to have a strong family, and I think all of us do, no matter what your family dynamics look like, it takes intentionality for us to get there. So this morning, as we walk through some of these points, as we look at God's word, Understand that the underlining principle to make these things happen is intentionality. And I'll just keep reminding you at every point, because if you're like me, 
I need a reminder. In fact, I need a lot of reminders. I have a very good wife who gives me a lot of reminders because it's necessary. I have a very nice uh, office admin here that gives me a lot of reminders as well. That's important. So I'll give it to you on every point. Here's the first one. Intentionally spend time together. Now, you might go like, well, duh, you know, I mean, we're supposed to spend time together. Uh, but in reality, just about everyone that gets somewhere in those teenage years or beyond, they'll tell you about the same thing in their family dynamics. Man, we're so busy. We just never see each other. Everybody's going their own direction. We have to intentionally spend time together. Now, I understand some of you, you're like, your kids are real small. I mean, they might be young, three and under, I don't know. And you're like, please, Lord. Could we have just one night where we're not spending time together? It would be very nice. But we learn really fast in that family dynamic how many different directions we can go and how little bit of time we actually spend together. The writer of Hebrews, who we actually don't know who that is, we remember uh, we've been walking through this series in Jude. It ended last week, and we talked about some of the authors of the New Testament. Um, this happens to be a New Testament book where we don't know the author. There's a few different theories, but it's still in the unknown. But there's so much wisdom in this book. But we find in verse 10, or chapter 10, excuse me, verse 24, it says this. The, the author says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what the author of this passage is doing is it, it, they're speaking to believers, uh, maybe the church, and they're just saying, like, here's some things you need to think about. We need to spur each other on towards love, how we care for each other, how we treat each other, and good deeds, doing the right thing, the righteous thing, as we talked about in our previous series. But then the, the writer says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It clearly, for this writer, there was a significance placed on what a gathering does, on when you actually gather together, whether it's in this church setting, a body of believers coming together, whether it's a Sunday morning or another setting, or whether it's some other group of believers in some other type of setting. When you gather together, there's something that happens when you different than when you don't gather together. And so uh, the writer actually goes on to tell us what some of that is. Encouraging of one another, speaking into one another, living into one another, this encouraging and helping and even challenge each other along. Now, I don't know about you, but the more I spend time with just myself, and sometimes we need that to refresh and get away and kind of recoup, right? But the more Tom's ideas Tom's opinions or Tom's commentary sounds really good to me the more I spend to uh, myself. But when I start to rub shoulders with other believers, I start to hear things. I start to get some accountability and some challenge and some new thoughts, and they, we encourage each other on. That's the focus of what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, and that's how, why the church is so significantly valuable. In fact, you know, a year ago, if we weren't talking COVID, right, I wouldn't be turning to address the online audience, which I'm glad you're here today, and saying, hey, wherever you're at this morning, because I would be challenging you constantly. If you're not sick or traveling, get yourself to church. Come be a part of this gathering because there's something that happens here that will not happen if you're not here. We're in unique times, so it's, it's a different time here. But when we move past this and, and the idea of COVID's in our rearview mirror, you once again will get that challenge from your pastor to say, 
get yourself to the gathering because of what we can do. Let's broadly apply that now to our families on how significant it would be that you actually draw your family together, that you're present with one another, that you're present with, with one another in relationship, in conversation, um, maybe more than just proximity, though that can be impactful too for us at times, getting together and what that does. We start to hear different family members speak. When we're running all over, we don't even hear that. We start to hear each other's family opinions on things that are going on in our world or in their life. This opens up avenues of connection and communication. We start to actually learn things. Like we remember things on our schedule when we connect with other members of our family. And we're reminded of things. All of this is of significant value. But just like the writer of Hebrews, that thing that he says at the beginning, that we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, the family is the strongest unit that God created that can do that for us if we would steer ourselves that direction. A couple practical thoughts this morning. One is creating tech-free zones. You've probably heard of this before. It's not like I created it. But this idea of times where you get together as your family, where you actually put away those distracting things, put away the tech or the phones or the tablets, don't watch the, the TV while you're eating the meal, but just focusing on each other or something different than that tech world. Why? Because tech's evil? Not necessarily, but we all know what a distraction it can be to us and certainly can be to our families as well. How about the idea of adventuring together? Instead of just thinking, let's get away on vacation, let's all relax our different way, Go adventure together. Figure out what you can do for the first time together. Overcome something hard together. Figure something out new together. On our last anniversary this past July, I decided that Shree and I would go on a hike that day. And um, we got out there on the trail. We go to Hanging Rock, and, and I thought, well, everybody goes down to Hanging Rock or to the waterfall. Let's go on the other side of the park, and we'll do one of those bigger loops around that go up the mountain and, and down. Looking at the map, I thought, okay, we'll take the one that goes straight up and we'll come right back down it because the mileage was much less. But um, like I do sometimes, I somehow turned left when we were supposed to go straight, um, and we did everything, the whole loop up and around. Um, I mean, I'm, we went up there, and I'm thinking, okay, we'll be back. We'll have about two and a half hours before our dinner reservations, you know, nice super romantic dinner, that kind of thing, you know. Um, we'll have time to relax, shower, all that kind of stuff. We were pushing the dinner reservation. That's the wrong turn we had. But it was one of those that goes up, and it's a wash bed. You know, when it's uh, flash flooding would have gone down this. So it's just rocks all the way up this wash bed. And I know halfway up, I'm like, this is a stupid idea. What are we doing here? Um, you know, I don't want this kind of time together. So we could just as much being together at Cheesecake Factory right now than hiking this. But in the end, like, I'll probably never forget that hike. We've been on many hikes. But that day, there's something about that connection and that adventure together and that unexpected addition of, of mileage together that worked. And sometimes we have to take our families on those type of things. We have to drive each other out to say, let's do something different together. Here's a phrase we came up with. Uh, it's not ours. We stole it from somebody. But it's a phrase, risk the wrath then when it comes to spending time together, sometimes we have to force our family into spending time together. 
you know, like me, like sometimes I tell our kids, hey, we're going to go do this. And what kind of response do I get? I get the, oh, mm, I don't want to do that. That sounds so boring. There's nothing to do there. Oh, we get that kind of thing. I heard some giggling over here. So we know, right? Yeah. But, you know, Shree and I have just decided we're just going to put our, our, our deaf ears on. We're just going to say, I don't hear that, right, and get in the car. We're going, and we're doing those things. It is amazing. I'd love to say every single time, but that would not be true. But nearly every time we go out and do something, it, it turns into something of an adventure. It turns into something that it would not be otherwise. In fact, somewhere in the midst of that, we can actually see the connection and the enjoyment from our kids in a totally different way. Intentionally spending time together is so important. Second one is intentionally celebrating successes. I don't know how this works for you and your family. Does it come really easy to celebrate the success of each other? Like when somebody, something happens, they accomplish something, small or big, doesn't matter. Does it kind of roll off your tongue easy like across the family? You know, good job. Or is it maybe just that one family member who's the over-encourager that, that does that, and we just consider, well, they do that for everybody. Intentionally actually celebrating everyone's successes across the board. Paul writes this in the book of Romans. There's a chapter that he speaks about love and these components of love. And what's great about the chapter in uh, chapter 12, you can look it up, is the action steps of love. So if we think that love is just emotional, you know, Paul would speak otherwise on this. In fact, it mirrors a passage that you might know much better in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. You might have had it, you know, read at your wedding or, uh, during that, it was all about love. But in the middle of that passage on love, in these action points of love, he says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Now, we use these at weddings, but this is actually being spoke to the body of believers. This is how you love one another. This is how you act towards one another. This was the most dominant attractional feature of the early church was how they cared for one another in the community. And within it, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. That means if somebody's rejoicing over something, you rejoice with them. You celebrate with them their successes. I believe that this is something we sometimes have to be incredibly intentional about. It doesn't always just roll off our tongue to be in, intentional about rejoicing and celebrating, whatever it may be. Sometimes as parents, we think, well, if I celebrate this and this child, I'll, help, I'll make this child feel bad over here. So we kind of maybe unconsciously think I got to kind of even this out and how I say what I say and that type of thing. Maybe there's some wisdom there. But never hold off in celebrating something you need to celebrate in your kids. Celebrate those things. Do you have family goals? I mean, does your family ever sit down and say, hey, this year, family, we'd like to do this or accomplish this or, or those type of things? Celebrate those things if they happen. You know, celebrate them huge. Some type of reward for the family so that they know this thing we wanted to build into our family, we're going to do. One time when I was coaching college baseball, I recognized that this team was just not especially good at lifting each other up. You know how you always talk in terms of a team needs to be there for each other, encourage each other, we got each other's back? That was not in the DNA of this team. And so I decided, never done this before with a, a, a sports team, especially college, 18 to 22-year-old guys. But I told them, here's what was going to happen is every single one of you, seven times every practice, so seven times the 35 guys we have on the field, 
you will intentionally say something uplifting and encouraging to each other. And I know, I recognize, it comes off like we're five years old back in Sunday school, right? But we're going to do it on the college level. And so we did. And the coaches and I, we just beat it in every single day, you know? Almost like, why aren't we focusing more on hitting and throwing and those type of things? We were. But we were talking a bunch about this. Well, we hit a, a point in the season where we lost, I don't know, 11 in a row or so. Um, something, something not very good. And, and for a season that was otherwise pretty good. But what we celebrated after that last 10th or 11th loss with the team was the way they encouraged and the way they lifted each other up and, and what they were doing. Because they eventually they got it and they understood it. Even as guys being forced to do it. And they got that. I'd love to say then we went on and it was the storybook ending that you see in the movie. And we won, you know, the world title and everything. And we had a parade in the city. But none of that happened. You know, we were an average team and kind of came in with an average record. But we sent them out there with the idea to encourage and lift up each other. Kids, I want you to think about it this way. Celebrate your parents' success. We naturally think our, our parents celebrate our success, Right? You celebrate their success. Adult children, still celebrate your parents' success. Whatever it may be, whatever they've accomplished, and being intentional. Here's the third thing being intentional about is to build each relationship. Here's the thing. When in doubt, when you're not sure what to do, when there's a conflict, when there's a disruption, always choose the relationship. Always. Whatever you have to do, choose the relationship. Listen, that doesn't mean just sweep everything under the rug and don't deal with it because it's too hard to deal with. That's not what it means. Always find a way to build into the relationship. Now, with people in our life, we should do this, right? With people in the church, we should do this. But with people in our family, I mean, you live together, right? You're with each other all the time. You don't live in a mansion out there, right? You walk the same hallway. You're going to pass each other. Building into the relationship and always choosing the relationship. So Paul, again, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church and he is speaking to believers and he's telling believers in several of these passages, if you have any hope of this community that has been so attractional to people, make sure you keep treating each other this way. And he writes this in several different of his letters that he sends out to different churches and groups of believers. Let me read just a couple to you here. Take a look at them on the screen. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What's one thing he says on how we treat one another, how we build relationships? Choose your words carefully. How you speak to one another is very important. Speaking words of encouragement and uplifting, praise, as it fits that occasion. Why? Because it It's building up. It builds into the relationship. It gives grace to those who need to hear it. Choosing our words very carefully. Parents, your kids remember those words. They hear those words. The words spoken, frustration and anger, they hear. Think about our words. Siblings, how you speak to one another is important. I still kid my brother, my older brother to this day about something he said, and I can trace it back to I was about four years old, meaning his, he was five, and something he said to me that kind of like was a stinger. 
you know, in front of our friends and kind of made me embarrassed. Now I'll kid him today. I don't have the angst of it still today. But there's so many stories of people that actually hold on to those type of things or that never figure out how to find ways to speak encouragement, and they're still speaking like a four- and a five-year-old, even though they might be grown adults, figuring out our words. This thing he says is to, in Romans, love one another with brotherly affection. Get this, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I like how he puts it that way because I'm a very competitive person. So if you put it in terms of competition, you know, like I'm ready to jump into there, outdo each other in how you honor someone, how you lift someone up. Just outdo the next person. Now, if you make the competition the focus, you're going to kind of blow the point of this altogether. But honor one another. Honor. Shree and I decided early on in our marriage that we were never going to speak a word of dishonor to anyone outside of her and I talking to one another. Um, not that we try to dishonor each other, but no matter what was going on, so what, what argument we just had, whatever disagreement we just had, whatever stupid thing I might have done right there or she might have said it, it didn't, I was never going to go to the guys and say, well, let me tell you about what's going on here. I was never going to speak a word. This was all the way to the point where Shri actually went on a, a women's retreat one time, and they had one of those kind of dating game kind of things. You remember where guys go out of the room, and, and uh, the women are asked certain questions about their husbands. Then they come back in, you have to try to match it up. So this was kind of being done. The men's answers all happened previous to the retreat. And they asked Shri a particular question about what's the most annoying thing your husband does. And in front of that group, she wouldn't answer. So now I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to do that. Oh, come on. We're just having fun. It's just kind of a game. No, I'm not going to do that. To the point where she came off belligerent <laughs> to this group. And, and I can see Sheree when she hunkers down, you know, exactly what it must have looked like there that day. Why? Because even in the midst of fun game, we've locked in that principle that we will not dishonor each other. And so I, like, I have absolute 100% trust in that. Just think about how our families function that way across the board if the way we honored each other with our speech and our willingness to give each other time and attention and care, how impactful that would be. Then Paul writes this, this other one, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, you ever have a complaint against a family member? You know, probably no, probably never happens to you. Yeah, constantly, like, right? That rolls almost every week we run into something with a family member, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You got to turn to your family and say, I forgive you. You know, yeah, you were a jerk in that. Shouldn't have said that. I forgive you. Forgive you. Forgiving is not the same as saying it's okay. In fact, we don't even allow that phrase in our family when it's not okay. You know, please forgive me. No problem. It's okay. No, it wasn't okay. But forgiveness is important and vital in your families. You may be sitting here today thinking, yeah, we don't really have a forgiveness issue. I think we kind of resolve our things. But I've seen many a family that has held on to an issue for years and years to the destructiveness of what their family could be because they've chosen to hold on to complaint and not forgive. Paul is saying here, if you got any hope of this community among believers, you got to live this way. You've got to live this way. And it proved out true. The most attractional thing was this community. Now apply this to your family. No negative talk. Honor one another. Forgive each other. Build up the relationship. Always choose the relationship. 
You get wronged sometime, probably, by your family, probably. It's probably that, you know, older brother, punk, you know. But you got to choose the relationship always. Here's the last one. And this actually fits in with everything we've talked about up till now. We have to intentionally build our faith in Jesus Christ into everything we've talked about. Because, listen, you can work on these things deeply. You can say, um, fa- uh, parents especially, you can say, we're going to spend time together. Man, we got everybody together. That was awesome. You know, we're going to celebrate successes, and we're doing that across the board. That's great. We're going to actually care for the relationship and build into the relationship, and that's good. You can actually do those things and leave your faith in Jesus Christ out of it entirely if you're not careful. Or you can be fooled to think that my faith in Jesus Christ will automatically transfer to my kids if we just install those. The truth of the matter, the Bible leads us in all three of those things we've talked about, but it explodes in its effectiveness almost to a supernatural level with our families if we would incorporate our faith in Jesus Christ in the middle of all of it. Here's what Proverbs said, a passage you may know. Start children off in the way they should go. Even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Or you can think about it this way. Even when they are old, they will not forget it. It will still be embedded within them. Even if they chose to reject it at times, you building into them. I read that and I think, teach them everything they should know from the beginning. Start early. If you got kids and they're like two or three or four years old and you think, ah, we got time. Uh Uh-uh, you don't have time. Now's the time. Now's the time. Anybody who has teenagers will tell you now is the time to start really building faith in Jesus Christ into everything you do as a family. That means look at the things we talked about. Prioritize bringing God in your time together. When you spend time together, bring God into that time together. So, like, you're really not together here, even though you might be next to each other. Not in the sense of the community building we're talking about. But when you go away from here as a family, you can say, hey, what was one thing that, that like really impacted you in service this morning? And then let that time together and that conversation form with your family. You can be really creative in these ways, how you bring your faith into your time together. We chose as a family, when we go on vacation, we always look for a church to attend. Some church. Now, on one side, it's nice. It's refreshing because I get to go, and I I don't preach, and I don't do anything. On the other side, as a pastor, sometimes you have to turn, you have to click off that button that makes you analyze the whole service from a pastoral standpoint, you know, which is not always great. But going and just being at a different service with the family, experiencing things new. Some of you grew up in the church, so the concept of opening up a hymnal, you're just like, you know, whatever, that's no big deal. I know what that's all about. But I took my kids to a church on vacation, and we sang hymns out of a hymnal, and I realized they have never done that before. Just numbers being called out, and a book has the numbers, that concept was, you know, and for us to go talk about that, and then that lead into, well, how did this come about? How did hymnals even come about? And talk about things like that. That created this time together centered around God. You can be as creative as you need to be here, but be intentional, absolutely intentional to prioritize God into being time together, having time together. Build praise of God into your celebrations. So when you celebrate someone, think about if you had a time where you celebrated someone's success, you said, well, let's just, let's just have a prayer of thanksgiving. Let's just praise God for that. And you prayed real quick. You're building into your kids that they always bring God into their praise and into their celebration 
as well. Disciple as you build. As you're building into your kid, as you're choosing relationship, intentionally disciple. Most dads I talk to, and, and discipleship is open up for everyone, right? Every believer should be also a disciple maker as well. But many dads I talk to tell me this. I don't have any idea how I would disciple my kid. Like, I want to, but I just I have no idea how to do that, how to build faith. And after I tell them, like, hey, let's, let's sit down, let's talk about it. It's much simpler than you think it is to transfer your faith. But let's sit down and talk about it. Even with my own kids, I decided with my boys that I, their senior year of high school, I would start taking them out to Chick-fil-A, and we would disciple. We would actually walk through some biblical passages. I would let them question a few things that you know, were solidified in my theology but had not been yet in theirs, and I allowed them to question. I didn't go, oh, what? You know, I just allow, allowed them to process and work through those things. And so once a week, the whole senior year of high school, we went and did that with my, my boys. Now, with my daughter, we, we actually started her sophomore year of high school, um, and we're going every single morning because it, like, she's a mess. She's a mess. Right, Sierra? So, yeah. No, I'm just kidding, sort of. So, um, but it's building into your kids intentionally, however you can, build into those relationships. Like when they have a complaint, make sure it always steers itself back to some type of resolution. Again, not a sweep under the rug, but some resolution, some forgiveness, building that into them, helping them in honoring each other, but honoring God in all they do. All that is built when we put our faith into building as well. Remembering this principle, your family goes where you lead. At the end of the day, it's amazing. It doesn't happen across the board, but it's amazing how many times your hobby, whatever it was growing up, your kids pick that up, and somehow they, that becomes their life hobby as well. They're holding on to that into their adulthood, that hobby, just like you, know, you were trying to. They're into that. If you have a sports team that you're just passionate about, it's amazing how many times your kid is passionate about that sports team as well. Now, I think for most of us, we don't dictate when they're five years old. We don't sit them down and say, look, um, you will play baseball the rest of your life. That will be your number one sport. I don't want to hear otherwise. I mean, it didn't quite go like that in my family. So my wife might say there was a similar speech, but uh, I have a different recollection. And she was at first service, so she doesn't get to argue it right now. So, um, so I'll roll with it. But we don't really do that, right? But it's amazing how many times our kids end up, why? Because we're leading them, whether we know it or not. We're leading them. And we got to think about that when our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, if we want to lead them, we have to be intentional about leading them in faith. We get them to church, that's great. Get them to youth group, kids class, wonderful. But that's just a couple hours. You building into your family in all that you do. In fact, we actually get a passage that, that, that really shares exactly how this is done. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commandments, the commandments the Lord gave, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your kids. Talk about them when you sit at your home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Listen, God was solidifying this for his people, the Israelites, from the very beginning, that this is the dominant way that faith will be shared in the family. That was the dominant way, and here's how you're going to do it. You're going to make it central to your life, and you're going to 
share this and send this on. When we look at it today, I look at the application for us. One, li- listen, he says, impress some on your kids. That doesn't sound like, you know, hey, whatever, kids, there's a Bible on the shelf. If you want to look at it, go for it. It sounds much stronger than that. Impress them on your kids. It- intentionally tell your kids about Jesus Christ, about the value of that, of, about your hope in Christ as well in everything you do. Then he says, uh, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Translation, everywhere, all the time. Talk about it all the time. Think about your last 10 conversations that you've had with your kids. Have they had anything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ? And he's saying, just talk about it all the time. Now, there's some wisdom in how you do it at at times and what you say and, and how you push and those type of things. But make sure it's something that flows off your lips quite regularly. Make, the absolute, make this absolute in your own life. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your forehead. This is something, this is a practice that is part of the Jewish faith even today. And what he's saying, you get that bound to your own life as well. These commandments, this for us, our faith in Jesus Christ, you get that so bound to your own life that it just, it resonates out of you. Your kids see it. Your family sees it all the time, make it an absolute in your own life. And then finally, it says, write them on your door frames of your houses, on your gates. Just make it visible everywhere. Everywhere your kids, your family go, may there be reminders, visible things that remind you of faith. Our key, one of our key family verses is found in James chapter 1, verse 2. The paraphrased version is this, choose joy. Choose joy. So that is posted up around our house this idea of choose joy, choose joy. Every once in a while, I drop my daughter off school, and I say, hey, Sarah, what are you going to do today? And she'll go, choose joy. And then I'll get something like a, you know, <laughs> something like that. But that's what we want to remind ourselves. Even when I don't want to choose joy that day, even when joy is the furthest thing, I'm going to choose joy. How about forgive others, put up on your doorposts, to remind you, even when I have no interest in forgiving others, I'm going to forgive others. Spending time with God as I'm walking out the door. What if that was up there? Just that reminder, something like, did you give me your 15 minutes in the word today? Or whatever the length it needs to be. That reminder before you walk out the door, spend time with God. And on and on and on, these are significant. Here's the phrase I want to give you. Leverage everything to transfer your faith in Christ. Within your family, everything you need to leverage, do that to transfer your faith in Christ. Whatever you have to do, make sure that is an absolute priority. If you have to give up time here or there, if you've got to get out of work for something, whatever you've got to do, you leverage whatever to transfer your faith in Jesus Christ throughout your family and make it intentionally the core of who you are as a family. Well, would you bow? Let's, let me pray for you this morning. Father, this morning, I just thank you that you speak to us on issues that we deal with every day. And none of us in some way, shape, or form doesn't deal with family, no matter what our families look like. Lord, I know there's some that are single parents this morning, and they have unique challenges in that. And you want to speak to them about family. Lord, for some, they have the blended families, and there's some uniqueness there. And you want to speak about family. You do it for all of us. 
And Lord, I think for all of us, none of us said, I have the goal of having a very weak family set up. We all want strong families. But Lord, I believe outside of your word, the world pitches a lot of ideas about the family. We see it in commercials and sitcoms and TV shows and whatever else. And it's so easy for us to just subtly buy in to good things, but to leave you out. Lord, would this be a morning that if one commitment was made, of all the practical things we talked about which are good, if one commitment would be made is that the core of my family will be built around my faith in Jesus Christ. And if there's some deficiency in your faith in Jesus Christ right now, if you would say there's some depth that needs to happen, that you would make that absolute priority in your life. That you might have that full cup that you would spill out in your whole family and make faith priority throughout. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.